this is the You Could Be a Therapist podcast. I'm Sophie Kent. Today we're going to be talking about the top 10 things you need to know before starting grad school to pursue becoming a therapist. I'm splitting these 10 things into five practical or professional things and then five personal things to know. The first five, all the practical things, all come from questions that I had when I was going to start my journey in grad school. I had so many questions and I would look on Google for hours just trying to piece together the answers. So my greatest hope for this part of the episode is that it will save you at least a little bit of time in your search for answers. So the first thing to cover, to me, one of the most important things to know when starting anything new is really to understand the commitment that you're making right to this thing and the process to get to your end goal. The training requirements of being a therapist is this first thing I want to talk about. And in its most basic sense, the training requirements are pretty simple. A bachelor's degree, a master's degree, two years of postgraduate supervision, and then a licensing exam and a short application for licensure with the state that you would like to practice in. So when I use the word therapist, um, there's a couple of different types of therapists you can be and and do individual one-on-one therapy. I'll be talking about licensed mental health counselors because that's the license that I am currently going for. Um, So it's also the path that I'm most familiar with. So the time investment to become a therapist and get your license is pretty significant. If a bachelor's takes you about three to four years, if you're a traditional student, um, and then you go on to your master's degree, most master's degrees in counseling or a related field are about 60 credit hours. So that's actually exactly half of a bachelor's degree. However, when you're a master's student, you're normally not taking a full course load. The classes are more difficult, more labor intensive. And so most graduate students are also working, maybe they're a little bit older. So it usually takes about three-ish years. Um, Usually the fastest people complete a counseling master's degree is in about two years. So let's say three to four years for a bachelor's, two to three years for a master's degree, and then an additional two years postgraduate supervision. And then finally, you can take your licensing exam. I'm located in the state of Florida and all the requirements for all these things vary a little bit by state. They're generally the same, um, but I'll be specifically speaking to Florida since that's where I live and I'm most familiar with all the laws and rules about this. Um, So in Florida, you must complete at least 1,500 hours of face-to-face therapy with clients and receive supervision from a qualified supervisor for at least one hour every two weeks. This is after you've graduated with your master's degree, and this is during that two-year window afterward. So at the stage, your title is Registered Mental Health Counselor Intern with the state. This is currently the stage I am in, in my process to become a licensed counselor. Supervision is something I think is a, can be a little misunderstood if, if you're not familiar with the profession. Sometimes I'll have people ask me, oh, you're supervised. Does that mean that the person's always in the room with you when you're with clients, um, which I get if you know, you're know you in another job and you get supervised. Usually your supervisor is watching you when you do your job. <laughs> so that question makes sense from 
you know, other professional standpoint, but in the counseling profession, supervision in these two years just means that I meet with my supervisor for one hour every two weeks. I think this is really an essential element of becoming a good therapist because being a therapist is one of the only jobs where people don't get to directly see you work. Because of confidentiality laws, sessions are private. Of course, they should be. And as a therapist, I I can't really get feedback, live feedback on my sessions because nobody's watching me. And so that's where supervision comes in because if I have questions or I'm you know, struggling with what homework assignment or what direction to take a client or how to best help them, I get to discuss details of their case with my supervisor because all of my clients know that my status as a registered mental health counselor intern um, means that I get supervised and means that there may be times when I bring their case before my supervisor without disclosing details that would reveal exactly who they are to my supervisor to get wisdom so that I can best help them. So that is supervision. And then after all of that, minimum of two years to do that. For some people, it takes longer to meet that requirement. One of my friends in the field is on her fourth year um, trying to receive all of those 1,500 hours. Um, COVID happened, which made it complicated for a lot of people. But after all of that is finally an exam. And even after all this time and all the school you went through, no, You can never escape standardized testing because it will always be there. There's a couple of different types of exams that you could take. It depends on the state that you're in, but you will have to take one really big exam before you can get your license. There's so much more to say about this process. Um, I've actually created a blog post with more details if you'd like to read about them. Just trying to hit the basics today. So let's move on to number two. The second practical thing to know before starting grad school is about program accreditation. There are different accrediting organizations that review and evaluate counseling programs in the United States. So in the same way that you'd search for a fitness trainer who has a certificate and you know is legitimate and approved and is not going to ask you to do exercises that are too intense or that they don't really know what's going on with your body, you want a therapist who's been to an accredited program. Basically, you want to know that the time and money that you invest into your program, into your degree is good, and it will qualify you to get your license later down the line. The most widely accepted accreditation organization for counselors is the Council for Accreditation of Counseling and Related Educational Programs, KCREP for short. Many states, including Florida, are moving towards only accepting licensed applicants if they are coming from a KCREP accredited program. So it's really an essential element to consider when you're start starting to look at the different programs you want to go to, maybe out of state, in state, all of those different things. The KCREP website has a directory, actually, where you can search for approved programs in your desired state really, really easily. And I'll include a link to some resources in the show notes if you'd like to take a look at that. About a year into your role, you decide to move to a different state. Maybe you're getting married, you need to care for a family member, or you just want to change. Should be easy, right? You're just changing jobs. Well, I have bad news about this. Unfortunately, state reciprocity for counselor licensing doesn't really exist right now. This means that if you earn your license in one state and then decide to move to a different state, you have to go through a process to, one, obtain a provisional or temporary license, 
and two, fulfill any requirements the state you're moving to may have that your previous state did not have. So depending on the state you're coming from and where you're going, this could mean paying certain fees, taking additional master's level courses, such as human sexuality or substance abuse. Those two aren't required by every state, so some people may not have taken those. And then you may have to take an additional licensing exam if your state requires the one that you didn't take in the other state. It's truly worse if you move to another state in the middle of your supervised hours because you'll likely have to start all over with a new supervisor who is licensed in the state you are moving to. So they make it pretty difficult to do this process. There are talks of reciprocity coming into the picture with the development of this new organization called the Counseling Compact. This is pretty exciting, I think. It's an interstate agreement, so an agreement between multiple states, where counselors would not have to obtain multiple licenses to practice in different states. As of my research for this episode, so far, 16 states have signed on for this new legislation to be put in place. Very official. So it's not impossible to transfer your license to a different state, but it is effortful, to say the least. Hopefully by the time you are crossing the finish line and your journey to become a therapist, this issue will be resolved. Number four, this might surprise you. You do not need to have your bachelor's degree in a related field to psychology to get into a counseling grad program. A common misconception about graduate school is that you have to have earned your degree in a related field to be accepted, but this is simply not true. Although I earned my bachelor's in psychology, many of my friends in grad school came from totally different fields. There were people who went to school for English or had a nutrition degree. One of my classmates had recently worked as a police officer in Georgia for a few years when he decided he wanted to consider counseling. So there's really no perfect or ideal degree you need to have to be accepted into a program to be a counselor. In the same way that there's no perfect or ideal path to becoming a counselor in general. If you studied something different in college or haven't been in school in a few years, you are in no way disqualified from going to grad school for counseling. All you need to do is be prepared to learn a lot about APA formatting before turning in all of your first papers. Our last professional thing to know before entering grad school is about student loans and scholarships. This to me is a huge thing to talk about before pursuing any kind of educational adventure. The cost of the adventure. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, every university is different in what kind of financial aid they offer. Some schools have special benefits for members of the military or minority students. Other universities have student worker positions that have stipends or scholarships. In my experience with my graduate program, they did offer graduate student assistantships, so GSA positions, with a full tuition scholarship plus small <laughs> monthly stipend. I was able to get one of these positions. I applied during my second semester of grad school, and I was able to work, I think, for about a year and a half in the university's social work department. In this position, I worked for 20 hours a week for a professor assisting with grading and teaching. I got to take a full-time course load for free. Needless to say, this job was a huge blessing to me financially and personally from what I got to learn about the field of social work. All of this is to say that it is possible to go to graduate school without taking on enormous loans 
if you prioritize attending a program that has these kinds of opportunities for students. When you're not listening to new episodes of You Could Be a Therapist, stay connected with us at Potential Therapist on Instagram for bite-sized videos and other fun content. Come say hi. I'd love to know you're listening. If you're enjoying the episode, please leave a review. Let's return to what we're talking about today. So now we're going to cover five personal things to know before starting your journey to become a therapist. The first thing to know is you need to be willing to do your own inner work if you are pursuing this profession. This means going to therapy and healing from trauma. No one is immune to life's difficulties, trauma, insecurity, or unhealthy relationship patterns. We've all been there in our own way, even those of us who want to be therapists. During the course of my grad program, one of my professors said, you can only take clients as far as you've been yourself. If you haven't done your own inner work, you can fake it for a little while, but you do yourself and your future clients a disservice by not beginning your personal process of healing. Two, being a therapist does not mean you give advice and you do not fix people, boundaries. Your role is to help people manage their problems at their pace and move towards a life that is healthy and meaningful for them. If your idea of an ideal job is observing a problem and telling someone exactly what they need to do to fix their problem or their life, becoming a therapist may not be right for you, or you'll be really disappointed by what the role actually is. Clients usually have enough people giving them advice or telling them what to do, yet they still end up in my favorite therapy room, the comfiest in the office. The role of the therapist is to partner with the client to empower them to move towards their values and a healthier life. It's a collaborative process that takes patience, empathy, and boundaries that are distinct from any personal relationship they might have. Three, be prepared to be uncomfortable. Sitting in the room with people unpacking things they've never told anyone is a privilege And it can also bring up feelings of discomfort for the therapist if you're not prepared or just haven't experienced it before. This really varies based on the population you may work with as a therapist, but here are a few examples of what could bring on discomfort across the board. One, seeing people cry every single day. I guess for some populations this isn't a thing. For me, it definitely is. This can take a while to get used to, especially if we're not used to seeing people cry. It's a really, really vulnerable and exposed way of being, and sometimes it can feel unsettling. Hearing clients express totally opposite religious, political, or sexual beliefs than you to you in their session, stating their beliefs as the correct ones. Resisting the urge to respond defensively or try to correct, quote, a client who talks about a perspective they have that is against your personal values. We all have personal values, therapists included, and those don't always align with the client. This can range literally from any topic. So discomfort can come from a lot of different areas. My work as an anxiety and OCD specialist has me hear people's intrusive thoughts all day long. So (laughs) at this point, I've heard every kind of intrusive thought that you can think of, and it doesn't bother me anymore. I will say that for my first month, 
talking with people with different intrusive thoughts, it was a little jarring, not because of them, but because of me and my inexperience. So there's all different types of things we need to get used to in the therapy room when we're therapists. Any controversial topic is on the table for a client to bring up in a therapy session. Learning to sit with our own discomfort helps us be able to continue to be tuned in to what the client is sharing and remain non-judgmental as you help them process or explore whatever it is. Number four, get good at self-care. Real self-care. Sometimes the phrases self-care or love yourself, treat yourself can feel super cheesy or the definition is so broad that it doesn't feel like it means anything. In response to this, we lose the distinction between self-care and self-numbing. A separate episode is coming this season on true self-care, but until then, all you have to remember about self-care is that it is most effective when you find your values and choose to pursue them through small actions every day. The last thing for today, and one of the best things to know before becoming a therapist, is that you will never see the world in the same way. Relationships in your life, views of humanity and resilience, possibility for growth and change, it will all be affected by the people you sit across from. Having the privilege of being trusted with their stories and their pursuit of wholeness, rejoicing with them as they reach their goals, offering your presence and warmth as you empathize in their sorrow, I really think it's the best job ever. That's a wrap on this episode of You Could Be a Therapist. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time.